What is one thing you can do today to radically change your relationship for the better? I've learned this from my own birthing process. It works instantly, it's free, and it's incredibly powerful. I've used this tool to completely change my relationship with my partner, my kids, with others, and even with myself. I revisit it daily, and you're about to find out. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Well, hey there. Welcome back and thank you so much for tuning in to The Parenting Junkie Show. I am completely honored to have you here and that you're lending me your ear and I promise to make it worth your while. Now, you may have noticed that at this time of year, we are talking a ton about relationships and marriage. So the adult relationship in the home. And if you're in such a partnership, then you're going to find this particularly useful. Um, But even if you're not, I still would love you to listen on because I think much of this can be applicable to all of our relationships and to our parenting as well. I'm going to focus on the adult partnership and as always, this is inclusive to any type of partnership um, and any type of blended family situation that you might be in. So as we're talking a lot about relationships and marriage, we've been speaking about how your marriage is a blueprint for your children's future relationships. We've been speaking about what we want from marriage and whether it's enough to just be okay and you know be healthy and functioning, or perhaps in our privileged day and age where you know our shelter is taken care of and we have our basic Maslow needs met, uh, or at least most of us listening to this podcast do. Um, Can we now take it to the next level? Can we move away from that medical model of disease-based, you know, change where we only make a change, we only make a transformation to get out of pain? And can we take it into the performance coaching model where we actually look to create peak performance and look to improve an already functioning situation? That's where I'm at, and I hope you're with me on this journey. I've received so much overwhelming feedback at how needed and necessary this content is, and I am so grateful to each and every one of you writing in, commenting on the videos, uh, replying to my emails, uh, sending me DMs on Instagram. This means the world to me, and I appreciate it because it really fuels our work here, and me and my team share those. In fact, we have a little WhatsApp group just to share those beautiful messages that we receive because that's what fuels our fire. So thank you so much. Shout out to Hillary, a beloved present player who wrote to us, kudos of Italian team. This is it. This is what the world needs to hear. This is getting at the root of the problems. I can't wait for this idea to spread to the world. It needs more of the parenting junkies. Thank you, Hillary. That means the world to us. And I will definitely be doing everything in my power and my team is doing everything in their power to spread this word as far as we can because we truly believe that this is how we change the world. I have been in situations where the fear of terror and war and disease and loss have been just completely overwhelming, completely unfathomable. And I often feel helpless in the face of the world's ecological devastation and poverty. 
But I know that this is a place where I can actually be an agent of change within my own family, within my own marriage. That is where I can make my small but big change in the world, my radical change within my own family unit. And I believe that this is one way we can make the world a better place. And I know that sounds really cliche and really um, perhaps, you know, corny, but I believe it. I just really feel that that's where I can make my impact on the world is by changing the dynamics in my own family unit and bringing up children who see, you know, peaceful, respectful communication and even blissful family experiences as normal. So with that in mind, I will definitely share more about marriage and relationships. And uh, many of you are asking me about my Parent in Love course. I will share more about that soon. I'll even be inviting you to a live session. Uh, It's called Don't Leave, Don't Settle. And uh, if you'd like to come to that, I'll be sharing probably more vulnerably than I've ever shared. And I think it's really going to be some transformational ideas that are going to help you create the changes that you want to see. So if you want to join that, make sure you're on my email list over at theparentingjunkie.com. With all of that said today, I want to give you a quick win. And that's my goal with the podcast is that you listen and that you immediately glean something that you can put into action right now, something that's applicable. Many of the processes that I design and teach and coach people through take a long time. They're deep and they create lasting changes and they're very, very transformational on on a larger scale, like the Parent in Love course itself. But whether or not you are, you know, going to put your hand up and say, me, I'm ready for that. I'm going deeper. I'm going further. I'm taking this. um, I'm taking this to the next level. I want any piece of content or video, you know, videos, podcasts, etc., emails that we put out there to ignite something in you to give you some push in the right direction or some coaching or some question or some piece of inspiration that helps you along your path to creating your own family bliss. And today is going to be no different. You see, there are lots of things that we need to change if we want to become peaceful partners. And in the courses, et cetera, we delve into that. We delve into our mindsets, the methods of peaceful communication, how to receive feedback, how to give criticism without criticizing, how to divide the labor uh, between you, whether or not, and how you should argue in front of your kids. Um, Spoiler alert, you should and can, but only in particular ways. Um, But more on that later. Today, I want to offer you this low-hanging fruit that you can get your teeth into right now. But First, I have to set the stage by taking you back to something that I learned through um, hypnobirthing. Some of you have heard me speak about this before. Some of you know what hypnobirthing is. Some of you have had hypnobirths. But when I was pregnant with my second son, I realized that I wanted to have a very different birth experience than I had had in my first birth. And to do so, I started to educate myself on how I could have a natural birth and what I would need in order to do that. And I came across hypnobirthing. And hypnobirthing was founded by the American doctor Marie Mongon. And it's a method that basically prepares pregnant women to approach birth with a very different mindset than the mainstream. And it teaches us to self-hypnotize, to basically get into a state of very extreme relaxation. And I personally listen to different CDs and it basically rewires your brain 
to think about birth and about yourself and your baby and the process of birth and labor in a very different way, in a very positive, affirming way. So you're basically training you. I've just said basically like six times in a row. I know. I'm sorry. I'll try not to say it again. (laughs) You are essentially training your brain Um, to stop thinking about all the negative and fear-based narratives in your mind around birth uh, and start to feel empowered and trusting to trust your body, to trust the process, to trust your baby. And you go through a series of visualizations, you know, imagining your body flowering open and relaxing and, and being excited to receive your baby. But there is so much more that goes into this. Sometimes when people hear the word hypno, they assume someone else is hypnotizing you to do silly things. But really, it's just getting yourself into a state of suggestibility and choosing yourself to change the narrative around the experience that you have fear, you know, around. So I had fear that it would be painful, that it would be unbearable, that I wouldn't be able to handle it, that I would tear, that I would uh, need medical interventions, all these different fears. Or Of course, we have the fears around whether or not our child will be healthy, whether or not we get hurt, all of the fears that are typically associated with birth. Um, When you go through a series of hypnosis and hypnotic audio tracts, you're basically, basically, there I said it again, you're rewiring that and you're erasing those stories as much as possible from your subconscious and instead introducing new and empowering stories. So when you go through the hypnobirthing process, you learn to exchange certain words for other words. For example, you're encouraged not to use the word contractions, but instead to use a word like waves. Not to use the word pain, but instead to describe the sensation as pressure. And even the word labor, which sounds like work, which means work, hard work, um, is often exchanged with birth process. And you're taught that every time someone shows you a scary image or you see a, you know, like a negative representation of birth on TV or a friend tells you a story about birth that is scary, you are supposed to kind of change the channel, interrupt them and and protect yourself, protect your bubble from those stories penetrating because you're trying to rewire your brain not to think of birth as something that's scary or dangerous and instead to only focus, really meticulously focus on the positive birth stories and the affirming birth narratives and uh, belief systems that help you to single-mindedly, doggedly, you know, relentlessly commit to this positive approach to birth. So when people would tell me scary stories or warn me about certain things, I would kind of, you know, politely interrupt them and be like, oh, sorry, whoops, I have to go. (laughs) And just, you know, not let those stories in um, because that would disrupt my self-hypnotic process. And I didn't want to add fuel to that fire. I wanted to add fuel to the positive fire. Now, you might be thinking that this sounds like a form of denial, right? Like birth is scary and dangerous and painful and just calling contractions waves doesn't make them any less so. And, you know, that may be so, but I would argue that in any case, we're choosing the story that we want to tell ourselves. Whether we call it pain or pressure, we are choosing how we want to frame up a particular sensation. 
at the end of the day, it's purely subjective and each one of us has to decide what story we're going to tell ourselves about that thing. Um, And so I guess my own approach to this is why not choose stories that serve and, you know, promote and direct me in the direction that feels good. If I can perceive a certain sensation in my body as pressure versus pain, surely that serves me. Surely perceiving it as pressure makes me feel more strong, more capable, more calm in the face of that sensation washing over me. If I've heard that contractions are painful and difficult and you can't breathe, but now I'm thinking of this, oh, this isn't a contraction, this is a wave. Maybe that psychological trick that I'm playing on myself helps me to relax into something and view it in a completely new and different way and therefore respond to it in a completely new and different way and therefore create a completely new and different experience of it. You see, I believe it is a self-fulfilling prophecy in many ways. Can you go through the hypnobirthing process and hypnotize yourself and still have a dramatic emergency birth? Of course you can. But can you feel incredibly calm and serene and even pleasurable in your birth and throughout your birth without that process, without that psychological process where you erase the negative stories and replace it with empowerment? I'm not sure. I couldn't. And when I did go through that process of diligently protecting my energy and my space and my story around the birth, I had an incredible experience. It was incredibly empowering. And when I did think of those very intense waves as waves or those very intense sensations as sensations that were getting me closer to my baby, that were healthy, that were normal, that were opening everything that needs to be opened, I felt much calmer, much more uh, trusting, and much more able to uh, even relax during that process. <laughs> Quick side note and, and tangent funny story is that when I went into labor with my second son, I called my husband and told him I was in labor. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. And he, I said, do you mind getting snacks on the way home? Because I hadn't yet packed snacks. Uh, for the labor. And he said, sure. And then an hour later, I called him and I was like, you're still not home, darling. We need to go to the hospital. Have you got the snacks? He says, well, I tried in a couple of different stores, but they didn't have the ones I want. I'll go again in the morning. And this was like 10 or 11 p.m. And I said to him, I don't think you you get it. I'm in labor. We're going to the hospital now. You need to come home. <laughs> and he said, you know, you just sounded so relaxed and so calm. And even when I got home, I didn't imagine you would actually be in labor for days yet to come. I didn't think that it was real. I thought you were just feeling some twinges. Meanwhile, I was in full-on labor, and in less than six hours after that call, the baby was out in the world. Even when I got to the hospital, um, the midwife there said to me, "Um, you know, maybe you're not really in labor. Maybe you should go home. You don't seem to be in much pain. Um, You know, they, they were a bit didn't believe, basically. They were non-believers that I was in fact in labor, even though I was in pretty advanced labor, because my body and my mind were in such a calm space. Now, that's complete side note, but it does prove the power of the stories we were telling ourselves. If I was telling myself, oh my gosh, contractions, pain, it's difficult, it's hard, surely that would have made it much harder and I would have been much less calm. 
So even if it is denial, um, maybe it's denial that takes back a certain power. I believe that it's about taking back power over our narrative. Now, I want to shout out to my present players because the theme of this month inside of present play is creating power. And what I'm about to share with you here and what I've set the stage for with this hypnobirthing story is one of the key ways that I believe we can create power in our relationships. It's one of the things that lands squarely in our domain, in our agency, in our authorship. We are the sovereigns of this particular key. And I think we have so much power in it. Now, we don't have power over what happens, right? Over over life, what life throws at us. We don't necessarily have power over the situations. We don't have power over what other people do or say. We don't have power over our partners, of our kids, of how they act, of how they feel. Where we do have power, and yet we give this power away, we don't utilize it, we don't claim it, is we have the power over our own narrative of it. And particularly the words we use to describe the situations and the people in our lives. So take a moment with me now, and let's all do this together. I certainly have work to do in this realm. Take a moment to reflect what words are you using to describe your partner? perhaps your children or yourself or your marriage or your family at large. But I'm going to particularly use the the example of partner today. What words are you using to describe your partner? There are many things that I believe we need to be very careful of when we speak about and to our spouse. Um, But there are some relatively simple things, if not easy, they're not easy, but they are simple, that I think we should swear off. And I'm about to share those with you. Um, But before I do another little backstory, I grew up, as many of you have heard me say, I grew up Jewish Orthodox, and I still affiliate that way, uh, much of, in, in many ways today. And one of the key foundational elements that I was taught as a child growing up is the power of our words. In fact, there is a concept in Judaism called Lashon Hara, which means the bad tongue. And the bad tongue basically means speaking ill of others. Any words that we use to describe others in any kind of way that could be interpreted as something bad. And in Judaism, this is compared to murder. Okay, speaking badly of someone is compared to murder because you basically kill that person. You kill their reputation. You kill, you know, the way other people perceive them and the opportunities other people will give them when you tell bad stories about them. And so this is very much not a new concept for me. This is something I grew up with my whole entire life. It was considered a really awful thing to just gossip and just speak ill about other people. There were ways to do so. There was language that we could put to it and, and, you know, in the privacy and confidentiality and when it was for a purpose. And this really links me to the teaching that before you speak, you need to ask yourself, Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? And does it improve the silence? Now, (laughs) quick Google search brings up so many different people that this quote is attributed to. If anybody here knows what the original source is, please let me know. You could just, you know, 
comment on Instagram. Um, I've seen it attributed to Buddha, to Rumi, to Sai Baba, to Bernard Meltzer. There are so many different names here. But um, that idea that we need to ask ourselves, is it necessary to really say this? Is it kind? Is it true? Does it improve the silence? Is there a reason um, to go forward with this sentence? That's a teaching that I think comes through in many different religions, philosophies, schools of thought. Um, and it's such a powerful one and very helpful. And it links me to what I, to the first point that I wanted to offer here today that we should swear off. The first power that we can reclaim is the power of not gossiping, of not gossiping about our partner, um, about our children, in fact. Um, I think... This can be a little bit of a stinger because many of us feel that we need to vent, that we need to vent, and I certainly feel this myself. Um, and I think that there is a big difference between you know sharing, sharing vulnerably, and getting coaching and feedback from someone who is a good listener, who holds our partner's goodness to light, and who is there to help us return to a peaceful place with our partner versus simply ranting and venting to self-justify and to seek this validation for our anger. Like, yes, 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 you're right. He or she is terrible. He or she is awful. You know, and we can sometimes, if we vent to the wrong person and in the wrong way, it actually adds fuel to the, to the bad fire, right? It adds fuel to our anger and it just keeps us in that self-justification, that self-righteousness, and doesn't bring us back to our original intention of being peaceful partners. So I think one of the keys to knowing that we're not, you know, speaking the bad tongue or gossiping about our partner behind their back, to know that we're not venting or ranting, but instead really using our connection with someone else to work through an issue and reach a better resolution or a better understanding or simply feel uh, heard, is not saying things behind our partner's back that we wouldn't say to their face. That's the first way I know I'm not gossiping, is I'm not telling a secret. I'm not telling something that my partner hasn't heard me say or doesn't know that I talk about. So being transparent and being honest with ourselves and with our partner about what we're saying to others. I also encourage us to be transparent about who we're speaking to. You know, my partner knows that I have one particular very close friend who I'm often going to talk to about issues that might come up in our marriage. Um, he knows her, he loves her, he respects her, and he appreciates that she is a great sounding board for me and someone who has our best interests at heart and is never going to simply bash him or say mean things about him or gossip about him, but rather is going to guide me in coming back to a serene, loving place. So knowing who we're talking to and what things we're talking about and, and trusting, right? This is all about trust, trusting that we aren't, you know, talking ish behind their back. We're not just, um, you know, um, we're not just gossiping, basically, is the, is the bottom line, right? Things that we wouldn't say to their face, things that we don't want them to know that we're talking about, or things that are private to them and that ultimately they're not okay with us sharing. That is the number one way we can take back our power 
And I would say that this 100% applies to our children and probably to everybody else as well. I think the foundation of a trusting relationship is knowing that what we want to keep within this bounds of our relationship is going to be honored. And what is going to kind of be outward facing to anybody else is still going to honor that kind of sacred uh, commitment that we have between us. And I'll just say about gossiping is I think none of us want to think of ourselves as a gossip. And, you know, you might have heard me say that and be like, well, obviously, of course we shouldn't gossip. But I think we don't always realize how quickly we fall into that realm. And it's not only gossiping, of course, just to expand that point further, it's just talking badly about our partner in general, even in front of them, right? At family gatherings, when friends are over, jabbing at them, stinging them, suddenly bringing up things that they're embarrassed about or that they're ashamed of. Oh, you spend too much on Amazon. Oh, you know, you never take out the trash. You never help me at night. Suddenly bringing our issues up in front of other people. I realize that sometimes this is just in good humor and good fun and both partners feel okay with it. Sometimes it's really not. Sometimes it has this kind of dark underpinnings and I would just be aware of that as well. Okay, so the second way we can take back our power is the words that we use about our partner to their face or behind their back or in our own heads, right? And let's particularly call out name calling. Using name calling is petty and small and never leads us to the connection and the peaceful relationship that we want. Calling someone selfish, a nag, controlling, a jerk, These types of words are always going to disconnect us, are always going to add resentment and add, uh, you know, anger between us. And so we need to take back our power over the words that we use. The labels, the diagnostic labels, you know, even saying your partner is obsessive or OCD when they're not actually diagnosed with OCD or, um, or you know, people say this about their two-year-olds, right? Oh, he's a terrible two or a jerk or that type of thing. Using those words to describe people is typically going to have the opposite effect of becoming peaceful partners. Um, I want to offer you a little bit of an instead, instead of using those words. And when we're saying to our partner, you know, you're so selfish or you're so lazy or uh, you're, you're never, you know, helping me around the house or all that kind of thing. One of the great things that I have uh, learned from Faber and Maslish of how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk, but this is totally applicable for adults as well is to use I statements. Now we have a whole module on that inside of the course Parent in Love, but just to briefly touch on it here, when you use an I statement, instead of externalizing the label to someone else and saying, you're so selfish, we actually turn it around and get to the core root of the issue, which isn't about you at all, but instead about me and a need that I have. Like, I need more help. Um, I need more help. Uh, versus you are so selfish is a completely different modem of communication and one that's going to get us a lot closer to what we want. So using the power of our words in that way is extremely powerful. Refraining from name calling and instead moving into I statements. In general, describing other people using words like you are is almost always a trap. (laughs) It's just almost always a trap. It's never a good idea to go uh, down that road. And finally, another important way to take back our power using words is to refrain from hyperboles. 
that's always a weird word to say. I hope I'm saying it correctly. But basically exaggerated statements uh, that are not meant to be taken literally, right? We often exaggerate when we're talking about our partner or to our partner about how bad things are or how bad they are in some way or another, right? And there are some kind of red flag words that you might want to notice when you're using them that indicate that you are exaggerating. Words like always, never, right? She's always so hysterical. He never changes diapers. She's completely obsessive about cleanliness. He's totally unaware of my needs. When we say these kind of totalistic, exaggerated, uh, all or nothing black and white statements, they're almost always incorrect. (laughs) There, I just gave you one. Uh, No, but they really are 99% of the time incorrect. And the exaggeration leads to defensiveness. And it also leads to that self-fulfilling prophecy where that is all we see. If we see, you know, a partner who's obsessive about cleanliness um, to the point that it's disruptive, um, then we're going to notice all of the ways that that is true. And we're going to find evidence to support that thesis. Um, However, If we see someone who is very committed to running a clean home, um, then we're going to be a little bit more balanced and notice the ways that they're also, you know, relaxed or at least balance out our judgment of that as something so negative and overbearing um, because of the words that we're using to describe it. So rather than going into the hyperboles, 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 I don't know, uh, (laughs) into the exaggerations. Um, How about we use softer words like sometimes, often, usually, probably, maybe, it could be, it might be. I noticed that. Um, Rather than saying it always, it never, it totally, it's completely, etc. When we change the way we talk about our marriage, talk about our partner, our marriage and our partners change. Just like when we change the way we talk about our birth, our birth experience changes. It isn't denial. It isn't a trick or a manipulation. Well, it is a trick and a manipulation, but it's a positive one, right? It's a positive use of our psychology in the way that supports us. Typically, our psychology heightens the negative. And I'll just linger there, and this will be our closing point, is that The theory goes that throughout evolution, in order to survive, we had to be hyper-vigilant and incredibly aware of anything that could go wrong, of anything bad, because that is what kept us alive. If we were very aware that there could be a tiger or a rock could fall from there or there could be a famine, then we were alert and extra careful and we stayed alive and we survived. Thus, we are now all programmed to be hyper aware of the negatives in our lives. So much so that it actually dwarfs the positive. So if you go into a yearly review with your boss and your boss tells you 10 amazing things and one small little piece of critique and feedback, when you walk out of that office, if you're like nine out of 10 people, you're going to be focused on the negative. Even though it was you know, nine to 10 outweighed by positive, it will still, in your mind, take up so much more real estate, so much more space, so much more time and energy. And so what this episode and this, you know, power of words is here to refocus you on and here to remind you of is that you get to flip that 
automatic switch that automatically focuses on all the negatives in your partner and in your partnership, in your children and in yourself, and instead take back power. So it's not just some automatic evolutionary, evolutionary response, but instead a deliberate, intentional design to speak the words, to even think the words about your partner and about your relationship that will set you up for your greatest success. You deserve to feel peace, love, connection, ridiculously happy, redonkulously healing, best friends, connected and happy together. You really deserve that, but you have to go about intentionally creating that. The power of your words is absolutely huge in this regard. And I am not talking about gushy Facebook posts. These aren't the words that you need to post to everyone saying, oh, we're just deliriously happy and he's the sweetest, most amazing husband and father in the world. You can say those things, it's fine, but that's not what's going to move the needle. What's going to move the needle is the way you speak about uh, your partner within the intimate circles of your mind of between you and your partner, of between you and your bestest, closest friends, or your journal, where you do those things, where you change that language on a deeper level, that's where you get into the the hypno-partnering, the hypno-rewiring, the place where you don't, not only you don't call the contractions contractions, you don't think of them as contractions, and you reject other people's narratives of them as contractions. So you literally are blocking off narratives of negativity. Now, I realize just as just as one last kind of disclaimer here. I realize that some people might be very nervous about this in abusive situations. And I just want to be really clear that that's not what this is relating to. If someone is being abusive, if someone is mentally unstable, if someone is uh, you know, suffers from addiction, um any of the things that our red flags in relationships need to be addressed and cannot be hypnopartnered away. They should not and cannot and must not be swept under the rug or just dealt with, or you must not reframe them as a positive narrative. You must get professional, local, in-person help. Um, and there are many, many ways to get that help, and that's incredibly important. So all of this, just to loop it back to what we said in the, in the beginning, all of this is for a functioning household, for a functioning, healthy couple who simply want to performance coach themselves to the next level. It is not for people who are suffering from issues that need professional, perhaps clinical intervention. And the same goes for everything that we're sharing about the partnership stuff this this season is that it is for those cases where we're basically happy and healthy people, we're two kind people in a loving and committed marriage, but we're struggling a lot with our connection, with our teamwork, with our division of labor, with how we parent, we feel misaligned, we feel misattuned, we feel out of touch with each other, the romance is gone, the connection is gone, all of that stuff, the communication sucks, we keep arguing. That kind of stuff is what can be addressed here. Um, the stuff that goes beyond that needs to be addressed on a more professional level. And that is also what I mean when I say don't leave, don't settle, do this. My upcoming live session is for people who don't want to leave and are in basically healthy marriages and partnerships, but often fantasize about leaving because it's just so hard or frustrating or annoying. Um, Of course, if 
you know, you're in a situation that warrants leaving, then of course, everybody who is in that situation must and should leave. And often that is the healthiest and most um, wise step to take. So I'm glad I made that disclaimer there, but I do just want to leave off on a positive note and to remind you of your power. As I said, this month's theme inside of Present Play is create power. This is a way that we can create power is by taking back power of our words. You have all of the control, absolutely 100% of the control of the words that you speak, of the phrases you use to describe your partner, yourself, your marriage, your kids, your family. That is a place where you can create immense power because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a reality that you create with your words when you talk about yourselves as the people that you really are, as you, you know, holding your inner goodness to light then you focus in on all of the positives and all of the empowering, affirmative ways that you can move forward rather than putting your focus on what is not working or on what you dislike. So quitting any kind of gossiping, not saying things behind our partner's back that we wouldn't say to their face, not saying it to people who they don't want us to say it to. Quitting using name calling, like, you know, being a jerk or being selfish and instead focusing on I statements and saying what we need and want. And quitting using hyperboles and exaggerated statements that really just add too much negative fuel to our fire and make things worse and more intense than they need to be rather than calming them down and coming back into a much more grounded, centered and trusting place. I very much hope that this is helpful. This is a low hanging fruit that you can put into action immediately. If so, let me know over on the grams and I will see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for listening to The Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.